Welcome to the first episode of Saltgrass for 2021. If you're listening online, then hopefully you have heard my little bonus episode that is my reflections on the new year and some new ideas I've got for the show. If you're listening on the radio on Main FM or 3MDR, then you can hear that on your podcast app or go to saltgrasspodcast.com to hear it. In today's episode, we hear from a couple of fellow sound producers who are making a podcast called Endgame. They too are exploring the journey this local community is undertaking towards a more sustainable future, with a focus on the transition to the zero net emissions or the local ZNet movement. Kyla Brettel, Rob Law and I are all involved in that process in various ways, which has been going on for over a year. You may remember Taryn Lane and Terry White discussing this in Saltgrass Season 2, Episode 21. It is wonderful to hear another approach on this topic, and Kyla and Rob artfully weave together lovely moments and insightful conversations to tell the story of this process. But before we begin my chat with those two, I'd like to acknowledge that this episode of Saltgrass was recorded and produced on Jara Country, home of the Jajawurrung. I pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging, and am ever grateful to be able to share this land and call it my home. Salt. Salt. Salt of the earth people, grassroots change, salt grass. Listen to all episodes of Turning the Goldfields Green at saltgrasspodcast.com. Kyla Brettel and Rob Law are in the studio with me and they have been working on a sound project, potentially a podcast, which is covering very similar topics to what we've been covering here on Saltgrass. So it's really great to see other people working in the same space and seeing what you're coming up with. So you guys have called your project Endgame. Tell us a little bit about how you came up with the idea and why you wanted to make it. Okay. Well, Rob, so you were the one who, were, who was pushing for a podcast. You wanted to make a sound project. I've been working in, in radio for the last 20 years and have kind of made my grand exit and thought that was it and I was never going to go back. And then, and then I met Rob and... Yeah, yeah, well, actually, I think I heard Kyla actually on Suzanne's show on Main FM and was talking about climate change and, and thought, well, yeah, between what happened here with Man Alexander Shire declaring a climate emergency and then hearing Kyla present in the same session that I did at council. After that, we sort of followed up and started discussing doing a project together in involving, at the time, Jodie Newcomb as well, who was another um, local who's working on climate change here. So the three of us sort of started talking about the idea of, of an audio project around the Shire and its sort of transition after the declaration of a climate emergency. And we were just messed around for a while, having yep. kind of slow and boring conversations, <laughs> which were really lots of fun to have. And and then it's a bit of inspiration for the actual project started to coalesce, was really around that moment of the declaration of the climate emergency here in the Shire. That was, that was sort of where we met. And after participating in that, I, I, I went through all the 140-odd submissions and started to think, who are these people? Who are these, you know, who in this boat that I've landed in and you know and what's going to happen when when we all sort of it starts getting rocky so I really wanted to know what is the voice of our shire what is what are the people saying and I was really blown away by uh, the responses 
and just really impressed with the holistic thinking of so much passion. So it was a kind of a, a combination of, of that seemed like a real catalyst. And at the time we were starting the program, it felt like uh, it's a really amazing environment. Our town is this incredible character. It's a time when there's so much at stake and you take half a step back and that this is really starting to look like a story of what's going to happen, what's going to roll out as a consequence of the declaration of a climate emergency. So that's sort of where we started. That's where we started, yeah. So the, the declaration was about a year ago, wasn't it? I like think the, it, the forum that you're talking about mm. where everyone submitted their things was almost a year ago. That's right, but it took a long time to digest. So, <laughs> so much information in there. Yeah. yeah. And we've only been working on this show for, what, about three months? You know, the declaration happened at the beginning of the black summer. So it was before we got into the summer that we had of all the bushfires. Mm. It's just been really, you know, a really great project to be able to sort of go out there and talk to people about climate change in a way that you don't sort of get to have in everyday conversations because it's not mm-hmm. a topic that people feel very comfortable talking about you know it's okay to talk to people about what they might be doing you know in response like recycling or solar panels etc but to actually sort of start to tap into some of the more of the emotional and psychological challenges with grappling with the change that's coming and, and mm. everything else and that's what we're sort of starting to I suppose, focus the show in more on those themes. But just found it, yeah, really fantastic experience being able to have those conversations with so many different people across the Shire and and bring them to light. And radio, of course, is such a, a wonderful medium for this kind of exploration. It's so great for stories that you cannot see and for exploring psychological landscapes and the way we see the world as opposed to visual media, which is so much about how, you know, we are perceived by the world. And sure. and it's such a, a visceral and sensual and physical medium. It, it really places <laughs> the listener within a soundscape. And, mm. and I think that's one of the reasons why I think it's such a wonderful medium for this kind of subject matter of, of trying to get down to the, the deep, dark, sticky, icky stuff around climate change yeah. that we just don't want to face. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've listened to a part of what you've produced already and uh, a beautiful component of that is the musical soundscape that you create around it that really helps create that mood and creates a, a, a certain atmosphere throughout the whole piece. And so, Rob, that's that's your... Uh, creative pu- genius well, at play. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your musical background and what you do with music. Well, many, many, many years ago, I went to the Victorian College of the Arts and did a music degree there. And Kyla also went there at a different time. So I studied music before I started moving into working on sustainability and climate change stuff. So about 20 something years ago. Nowadays, I predominantly just do music for film and TV. So I've actually been doing the film score to a Canadian film about climate grief over the past year. So that kind of topic, you know, has been something I've been sitting with for a long time. And, and that was an amazing sort of process to do that project, which was many, many hours in a studio watching the same footage over and over again about, you know, people expressing their sorrow about the planet and things like that. So mm. it's, yeah, so I think moving from that now into this project, it's been quite a, quite a good transition. And it's been really fun. Like sometimes Rob will send me like partly, you know, like like that drone that you sent me, you, you didn't know what to do with. And then I found this amazing bit of sound to put it to and it just really came together. And, and one of the fabulous things about working with Rob is that I think we both have this uh, really deep connection with music and story and we come together around music and story, like from different angles Mm. though. So because sound design is really my thing, you know, from my background in music and, yeah, bringing it together with Rob's music is just, yeah, it's it's, it's perfect. Yeah. Sounds like a great complementary fit. So, Kyla, tell us a little bit about your background in radio. 
oh, well, it's long and dark. (laughs) Many, many dark rooms. Hours spent in the soft blue glow of the screen. Absolutely correct. (laughs) Editing suites are often quite dark. (laughs) I, I absolutely love radio. I started working in radio 20 years ago and I came to radio from a filmmaking background. I was a documentary filmmaker and I came across this amazing story that I just could not do in film and that sort of actually pushed me into working in radio. It was about a private investigator and an abandoned wife and their affairs of the mind and it was such a such a sordid tale you could really only do it in radio and that that kind of launched me into a way of approaching radio from a cinematic way and through narrative and I've been in and out of Radio National as a sound engineer and as an online producer and as a supervising producer and as a regular producer on daily and weekly shows for many years. Then I realised I needed to get a more stable job and, and I started working at, I was at RMIT University teaching radio and television production for about 14 years. So for a while there I was working across ABC and RMIT, which was a little bit exciting. But yeah, and I left them all and moved down here and, and thought that I was done. What did you think you would do when you moved here? Oh, you know, have babies, make bread, (laughs) have a garden. It sounds like you've had like a 50-year career already, but you must have just overlapped them and squished them all together. I'm just very well preserved. (laughs) (laughs) And Rob, your professional life also complements this show, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah, so I work for what's called the Central Victorian Greenhouse Alliance, NEP, which is a organisation based in Central Victoria, funnily enough, and works on climate change. So works with communities and councils across the region on climate change. So this obviously, yeah, is a nice bringing together of those two things for me. So Kyla, what made you, as an individual human being, want to present at the forum last year and then also dive in and read everyone else's submissions and really get into the the nitty-gritty of all of those submissions. Yeah, I think like many who are in this space in a very passionate and present way, I had a moment where I sort of the whole the realization of what was going on in terms of climate change in my life and my future and the future of my children sort of hit me very suddenly and and I came out of that moment thinking okay I'm coming out of my barefoot with babies and sourdough bread moment and I kind of need to get out and do more with my life uh, in terms of doing something about this and so I decided that yes I was going to do more and and my partner was totally with me and we thought well we'll do more in the home and more in the community and he said oh bags are home (laughs) so that meant I had to go out into the community and um and try and discover which is quite tricky for an introvert like me Um, and it sounds like you were new to town had you just moved here? No, we've been here for about 10 or 11 years. But Have you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Me too. Hiding <laughs> away in I know, I'm, I'm like one of those little frogs <laughs> that you hear or that you dig up in the sandpit and suddenly seen. So I was dug up in the sandpit after hiding away here for quite some time and felt, yeah, I really need to do something about this and push outside of my comfort zone and, and work out what's going on. And I really felt quite passionately from the research that I was doing that the most effective place to focus my work would be within the local community. Mm. So that's sort of really where I want to target whatever it is I'm trying to do. I think that's really interesting. I think that's a theme that emerges over and over and over again for me while I'm producing this show is this idea that 
no matter where we are in the world, and even though it's a global fight that we're all fighting, it's coming to this local, localising everything and, and making things for our local community. It's actually where the change has to happen. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I think there's a there's a real dis- important distinction there, I think, from what has happened in the past decade or so, where it's been a real focus on individual actions, but not mm. sort of local collective actions. And I think that's something we've been trying to bring out as well in our show is that shift away from these feelings of personal guilt about, you know, not not doing your bit or those sorts of things that can turn people off these sort of issues into something that's about being more involved in where you live and taking action together and I think that's pretty powerful for people once they step into that to realise you know how that makes them feel above all else but also how it connects to other things that are happening across the globe Mm. so it doesn't feel so futile I suppose in the face of something so big. Yeah and I think there's also inequity issues in relation to the intense pressure that people have on, on their own individual contribution within the home you know responding to the climate crisis. There can also be something that 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 leaves you there in the middle of the ocean with your keep cup feeling quite overwhelmed by it all and the other thing I think why community is a great space for this is because it's small enough but it's big enough to to feel that you can actually really make a difference or, or, or lead change or whatever that that yeah. group of around you know one to two hundred people for us as human animals is about as much as we can connect with and I think this sense of developing connections between people and between people in our landscape our country is really for me and I think for us through the podcast really seems to be the heart of, of where we think we need to go with this. Great. So in the podcast, who have you been approaching and what have you been trying to talk to them about? What's well, the story that's emerging? <laughs> oh. well, well, we, well, we started with the inciting incident of the, the moment. The moment of the declaration. Yes. Yep. And so I think from there, well, actually, I mean, it's kind of interesting in how it's sort of panned out. We had this original intention to sort of create a podcast, which was like a long form series with a you know linear storyline. But as we sort of started to go out and interview people, it was, it's really challenging at this point, I suppose, in a project to know what that overall story is. So, which is sort of why we've reverted to this idea at the moment of a story site where we can, you know, go out there, collect all these stories and interviews with people and do our work on the sound design and pretty it up, I suppose, and then get things out there into a local audience so that it can kind of interact with the show as we're making it and then be able to step back in, you know, three to six months time and sort of okay, start to piece it all together and think about how it's a broader story. I think the story site, it really frees us up in lots of ways to be able to explore different styles and different approaches. It means we can travel down narrative lines that go absolutely nowhere and that's okay. And I think it's important to try and have that that bounce back. So we're just Mm. really following our noses at the moment and we've got a lot of material that we still need to edit and put together. And... You know, it's it's a little bit like creating stone walls and sculptures in that sense. You kind of have to see where the material goes and how it speaks to you because you really often you don't know what you've done until you've actually done it. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Yeah. What's some of the things you've done with people to try and draw them out or get something extra from them? So I suppose, you know, we started this during the lockdowns and so that was kind of nice to be able to then step out and start to actually go out to interview people off Zoom and start to get more of that, you know, sense of place in the show as well. So there's people actually out on their land or 
wherever and there's the sounds of, of that landscape sort of coming in through the microphones but also their own interactions with that place so we had a, a nice piece we put together with Andrew Skioch who's a sort of bioacoustic researcher recorder man that lives out in Strangways and um, having him just sort of there to talk about what he's hearing and, and sort of describing what it's like to really listen into the landscape it was a nice moment and those types of things. It has been really challenging making radio within a lockdown environment, as, as I'm sure, <laughs> as I'm very well aware. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I found, it, found it, it, it also pushes you to think more creatively about how you find other sounds to juxtapose and contrast. And something that I found actually really good was, was the Zoom meeting situation, because you can have a Zoom like within 15 minutes and you don't have to all coordinate in being somewhere you can get something really quite close to the moment of it happening and and I, I learned that from doing this piece in the triple o call center that when you actually get some something within 30 seconds of some amazing mind-blowing event happening the response that you get is is, is palpable it, mm. it can be amazing mm. so we're sort of trying to play oh god where are we going to get other sound materials so we're drawing materials from zoom meetings and also like the council stuff and which they record really badly unfortunately but be able to have that play between different voices of people speaking with within a meeting and pulling apart our ideas and then then we can kind of take clips of that and then pull it apart and and analyze it in a different sort of way and you're also getting a different kind of voice and a different approach to the content a different way of thinking about it and I think sort of mixing different parts of a dress within a show can be a nice way to develop textural diversity. Mm. So we've got a piece to listen to today can you tell us a little bit about what this one is? Rob, would you like to start with talking about bubbling away and rising? I think, yeah, I think this piece probably relates to this idea of people that have been in this shire for a long time who have who have worked in this space for a long time in sustainability and climate change action. So we interviewed Terry White and Neil Barrett, but also against these relatively you know newcomers, I suppose, to to being involved in the movement and that kind of that sense from them about. Well, I don't want to give too much away, but their their sense of stepping into that space for the first time and mm. of I guess of finding some sort of solace in that experience of working locally with other people on this thing that is very overwhelming. It was originally supposed to be a show about the the petition that that Massett, the Mount Alexander Shire emergency team put together to present to council to try and push uh, the declaration of climate emergency and the first time they took it to council it was a complete fail and and so this show was supposed to be about that campaign and the, and the fail that that eventuated you know which picked itself up and went through the goalpost at the end <laughs> but that fail success. moment yeah. you're always you're always sort of <gasps> But I think what happened is that it actually turned into a show that was very much around friendship because we had two friends who had been working together for 50 years or whatever and and two other friends, Heather Cummins and Laura Noonan, who really bonded over this. And it's really, in the end, it kind of is about exploring the things that ground you within the climate movement and I think friendship and camaraderie is one of those things. Entirely. A beautiful sound. It's a raven, isn't it? Mm, I think yeah. That. Is it a forest raven? 
I first became really aware of it a few years ago in the Flinders Range. It's just so effing. You get up in the morning, you just hear that sound, that dying. Yeah, they're beautiful, isn't it? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Agitation and then, oh, shit, yeah. it's useless. Oh, shit. Take it easy, mate. Thank you. Like the Raven song, optimism and energy in the climate movement rises and falls. Here in Castlemaine, in central Victoria, we're a small town with a big history of climate and environmental action, and there's a lot of support for the movement within the wider community. But moving forward hasn't been easy or without failure. One project that struggled to get over the line for a long time was the campaign to get our council to declare a climate emergency. Heather Cummins was a member of the most recent group to give it a go by collecting signatures on a petition for council. This was back in December 2019, before the pandemic hit, when it felt like there was a lot of momentum around climate action. Heather describes what it was like, sitting in council chambers, listening to the debate and hoping a climate emergency would finally be declared. I think there was a lot of apprehension um, about which way council would vote and what we were walking into. I move that Mount Alexander Shire acknowledge that urgent and continuing action is needed to address the current and future impacts of climate change. I would rather this be put forward until we get more information and more professional advice. I, I think we are jumping too early. We don't know what will happen. I just remember um, how palpable the emotion behind some of the councillors' speeches was. I had to look my 16-year-old child in the eye and I would have to tell him why I didn't vote for it. And there is no reason why I could do that. Um, we need to support our children in this because we'll all be dead, so. It's not our future, sorry. And I'm younger. I remember sitting next to one of the Central Victorian Climate Action CVCA members and, you know, they've been around doing this for yonks and um, I didn't know this person well but she seemed like someone who is normally very contained and at one point sitting there she said, we're going to win this with um, tears in her eyes and it was just one of those incredibly touching moments um, and then she followed up by saying, Excuse me, there's just been, you know, there have been so few wins. Those in favour? Motion. Those against? So I did, it felt really important and it felt like a really um, validating moment for all of the climate action that had happened in this region before that campaign because they laid the foundations in the town for that to succeed. I've just come into my office in the middle of town to get a little bit organised because in a moment I'll be going downstairs to record an interview with Terry White and Neil Barrett, a couple of local men who have been very influential over the years in this shire for climate action and other environmental issues. So I'm looking forward to it, but it's a very, very hectic week. 
So I work for the Central Victorian Greenhouse Alliance, which is an organisation that works solely on climate change over the past 20 years, and Terry actually established the organisation. So in a way, I can thank my current job to him. Hey, Terry. Hey, put your hand up. Thank you. Okay, Rob. Alrighty. You want to well, work? we'll you want start to with the easy work? ones. I'll get you to, to say your names. Other people that we've spoken yeah, to for this have described you both as, whether you like the title or not, climate action elders in the community. <laughs> Together, I suppose you've got a, almost 100 years of you know, perseverance in climate God, action. Almost, so, yeah. How do you sort of not get too depressed about the fact that we're here in 2020 and the issue is still as relevant as it was back then? Yeah. These, these things go through cycles and it's part of the angst of growing older is that you can see this rise and fall in community understanding and preparedness to act and then it recedes. Yeah. But I would say that the majority of the community has always been favourable toward uh, renewable yeah, energy. Yeah, 70% and figures have been showing yeah. up in surveys yeah. for a long time. But yeah. When you say to people how much you're prepared to spend to to make sure it goes through, or how much you're prepared for taxes to go up, the answers are a little bit different. It's frustrating to see ignorance in high places and corruption well, in high places. People actually working against it. Yep. The Murdoch press has an awful lot to answer for, doesn't it? It's hard to keep going sometimes when you see that. One of the most disappointing things for me was the failure of wind power to get going here. You know, it was a yep. very big campaign around 2010, 11, and the opposition just, you know, people that I would not normally associate with opposing renewable energy that started turning up at, at meetings with placards and full of hostility. And we put in an enormous amount of work and money and uh, just came to nothing and it's still it's this this talk of solar farms isn't there at yeah, Baringup yeah. that, that's even that's being opposed isn't it that's right yeah so it takes the shine off it a little bit when that happens doesn't it do you have a hope or a vision for this shire in another 20 years time what it might look like the vision for here is that we will achieve um, zero net emissions by 2030 that's what we've got to do. I think this, this shire will, will be almost wholly renewable much earlier than 2050 because you've got to think in the next few years there's going to be a few big wake-up calls happen. If we continue to get um, bushfire seasons like the last one, yeah. then there will come a time when there yeah. will be a demand for Cam Canberra yeah. to pull up their socks. Yeah. My name is Laura Noonan and I'm your MC tonight. I'd like to now welcome Heather Cummins on stage and she will speak about the origin of the petition that Massett started. Good evening. Um, I'm Heather, I'm a violinist and music teacher, and I live here in Casimir with my partner and my beautiful two kids. 
And I have to say, as a self-professed introvert, I would really, quite frankly, rather be anywhere else. <laughs> um, but it's lovely to be in a room with you beautiful people, and thank you for being here. But this is a common story, is it not? People who would rather be at school, at work with their families, and yet are becoming involved. It was back in June in a fit of quite deep post-electoral despair and realising that the timeline for climate action outlined by the IPCC was terrifying and its urgency that I sought ways to get involved. There was um, a very, very new space for me and I, you know, to that point, mm. really not done anything and always stood back and watched climate flags and watched Mount Alexander Sustainability Group and just all these extraordinary things that were going on in the town and had not felt that I could contribute or that I had anything to contribute, I had not felt that my knowledge base was broad enough. But that moment feeling so important that it just felt like that everybody needed to step up and do mm. something. That's what... Heather and I really bonded over both sharing that sense of, my God, something has to be done. I have to do something. Um, I feel like it was really a bit of a selfish starting point. You know, it's that typical action being the antidote to despair and being fed this line over and over when you're clearly presenting to everybody who knows you as being a, you know, a wreck. <laughs> um, it, it is the obvious pathway and it does heal and what appealed was to the potential to start here in Manor's and um, which really feels like a heartland of climate action. So much incredible work that's been going on for so long. And it would also allow us to contribute to the already robust community in Manor Alexander Shire, wanting to support council in moving the community forward on climate action and emissions reduction. So together with a few other passionate Mount Alexander Shire residents, Masset was formed. And yeah, and then with the people who then join Masset. We had some climate elders, <laughs> I guess, you know, some really extraordinary people who had been in the game a very long time, um, who brought a lot of environmental wisdom, but also a lot of emotional wisdom. Mm -hmm. um, and it ended up just being a really beautiful experience, I felt. Mm -hmm. You know, it moved me from a place of, you know, dread and despair to a place of, you know, feeling part of something meaningful. That was an incredibly warm space. There was um, an open acknowledgement of how serious the campaign was and how serious the issues were. So that was a safe space to be working in as well, just to have that at the heart of everything we did. But I guess it brought me back to a space of being able to feel joy again. You know, the peace and the joy actually comes from connection and from being part of um, everything that needs to happen. in local initiatives or actions and I suppose there can be a sense of futility in the face of a, such a big problem but how do you see the, the importance of local actions in this Shire? Well I suppose uh, um, Terry what do you think? Yeah well I, I think it's all important local actions all important because now the planet has a massive contradiction in terms of the way we live and the needs of the planet to continue to evolve in a benign sort of way. So that any action anywhere can have global implications. Nose down, bum up, you can work at a local problem and if you crack it then there's a good potential that that will send a, a global ripple. 
it, it'll happen when every householder says, yep, I'm in. In other words, that the problem is owned. So it's not a consultancy group or a, a planning committee that suddenly you know, give us the answer. Somehow, I think it requires a democratic response, which engages, truly engages everybody mm. as part of the team. There should be no bystanders. We won't get there. Do you see that, no see that as a, a big challenge? Do you see this town is quite diverse? Will we be able to get everyone on board? And yeah. Yeah, if we played the cards right, we would. And council here has generally been on side, but it hasn't been easy. There's, there's been strong opposition within the the old right wing of Castlemaine to uh, to oppose it. In a mere 12 weeks, we've established a core group of eight and a wider group of 18 who are working to elevate climate awareness in the community. We've collected um, over 1,800 petition signatures, compiled an extensive resource kit of climate emergency information. Um, in one of the clips, Heather, you, you had this incredible list of all the actions that Massett did. Oh, it was crazy. I'd sort of gone in thinking, I can do a couple of hours a week, and it turned into every waking minute. <laughs> it was really um, intense. Yeah. Well, you were both really thrown into the deep end. I think there was definitely moments for me where I just thought, what the hell are we doing? Can we, can we pull something like this off or, you know, be part of it? Um, really terrified, like to the point where, you know, I would totally like get the sweats before, <laughs> before Greenpeace meetings. Like I remember saying to Laura, I would, something like, you know, broken through enough um, comfort zones. <laughs> um, enough now. And that was sort of two weeks in. Little, little did we know how many more <laughs> layers we'd need to shed. And then I guess that's, that's the momentum that you get. It's like, well, I can't walk away now because I've got my buddies here and I'm, uh, you know, started something and there's a ball rolling. And The, the thing I learnt was that we, um, we can overcome individual challenges that we didn't think we could overcome and we might actually enjoy ourselves along the way. What's wonderful is that the human race can surprise you and when Greta Thunberg yeah. stands up and speaks the truth so beautifully clearly and unequivocally in high places then the real surge of of, of hope, I think, and adrenaline, renewed adrenaline. Thousands of school students have staged protests around the country. The younger generation have had enough. Demanding greater political action on climate change. We want the government to publicly recognise climate change for the emergency that it is. It's a campaign that started with one teenager in Sweden. Her vigil caught the attention of Year 8 students from Castlemaine in Victoria who've been some of the drivers behind the national protest. And it's now grown to include 1.4 million angry and noisy students from 125 countries. But the kids are a major, major part of my, you know, mental yes. well-being. Yes, yes. Yeah, they are. I think that's the, the thing about you're not putting hope in them, they just give you a bit of drive to... Yeah, to especially that it started here in Castlemaine, the Australian 
legal, but anyway, mm. um, which has probably got something to do with the work that was done here 15 to 20 years ago with getting the parents involved. And how are we going? How are we going with new new tree plantings versus tree clearing? And figures there are pretty horrific, aren't they? I was feeling quite optimistic there. Into, into well, I know you're on a roll, Terry, but, but, but the figures for tree clearing are just awful. How True. Do, how do they get away with it? True. They're allowed to, obviously. They're just like you're allowed to squeeze the life out of a river system. It's been really interesting going through, you know, the town hall footage and, and revisiting that time and it's, it's hard not to contrast it with now because there seemed to be so much energy and so much momentum at the time, like in a way that feels like we've almost lost it, like now we are in a, well, we're not in an emergency, we're in a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I feel like it's coming in waves and that there are just layers of understanding being built into the human experience. That's my sort of <laughs> what I'm choosing to <laughs> interpret from this time. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's just been really interesting discussions going on about what people have learned, what, what are we learning about how we want to live, how we want to consume, how busy we want to be, what knowledge is what knowledge we're not drawing on in the way that we live. Yeah, it's that necessary shift, I think. It's almost like that, okay, well, now we're, we're starting to or we're being forced to begin to live in the way that we actually do really need to. So I feel like that incredible energy of the climate march period um, has changed, but this feels like a necessary next step to me in terms of how we, you know, sort of integrate all the understandings that we need to, you know, with Black Lives Matter, Kazaman allies decolonising, springing up as a new group. I feel like more pieces of the puzzle needed to come together to have more meaningful progress. And that while that, you know, tangible thousands and thousands of people in the streets, energy has been lost, different sorts of energies are bubbling away and, and rising. Uh, how are you travelling, Terry? I just love this turn of the season. Mm. Yeah, isn't it, mate? Just watching buds every morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for listening to this sound work, co-produced for Endgame by myself, Kyla Brettle and Rob Law. Bubbling Away and Rising featured the voices of Heather Cummins, Terry White, Neil Barrett and Laura Noonan. Music by Rob Law and sound design by me. To find out more about this show or the project or to listen to more, go to our website, endgamepodcast.net. So that was bubbling away and rising. 
So I've noticed you guys have got some really nice poetic names for the pieces. Is that something you think about a lot or well we we actually they're, they're always quotes from the piece that you're listening to so someone has said usually said that line and so sometimes we sit together and listen through and then oh you know note down when someone says something that's a nice turn of phrase yeah i think we've got another one allowing yourself to be influenced with andrew skiotch and problem solved, problem solved. <laughs> right, that was the, an ambitious one about the declaration of the emergency so just you know yeah trying to describe the pieces like that and then, so on our story site where we're putting all this material up, Kyla and myself are sort of taking turns, I suppose, in, in writing a bit of a reflective piece on the sound work, but also how it relates to our own lives and what we're kind of grappling with and the themes we're trying to explore. And that kind of relates to the backstory or, or rather the, the iceberg underneath because we spend copious amounts of time talking and writing about all these ideas and different things and, you know, splashing in lots of bits and pieces. So it was kind of nice to be able to have a space that we can capture some of those sorts of ideas that go into the growing of a show. Mm, I like that. Mm. Can you tell me why you chose the name Endgame? Well, (laughs) I can't (laughs) even remember now, but I suppose for me it kind of represented the fact that nothing else matters at the moment, really. Like it does feel like acknowledging this climate emergency that we're in is is really important to kind of face up to that truth. And so how we deal with it feels like, you know, the most important thing that we need to do right now. So in that sense, it's an end game. I don't think it's necessarily trying to be too bleak about it being the end game. Like that's that's it for humanity. <laughs> yeah. But I guess there's that, that element too, that it's it's something that's all or nothing that we need to face up to. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. Well, it was. I, I came up with it because you didn't like any of the other titles I came up with. We had off the table for a while. Was another well, then we're on the table. On the it table. was on the table. <laughs> right. That's right. Then it was off the table. But I, I yeah, and I think it, it kind of captures in some way our approach to the theme of, of trying not to be like super heavy and grim, but with, with a lightness of being around these things. Uh, a kind of playfulness maybe an almost a black humor but trying to kind of keep balls in the air to keep things in relation rather than trying to to land or, or ground things too much was was our approach to the story interesting question ali because i never we never actually talked about why we chose that <laughs> name apart from kyla suggesting it and you're saying and it was great yeah. <laughs> all right great yeah. that's right is there anything else you guys wanted to talk about in relation to it? So we received some, you know, financial support from Victorian government through their ADAPT Lod and Mallee program because this show is, in a way, it's about, you know, how, how we're adapting as, as a community to climate change. It's delving probably more into sort of the emotional and psychological stuff, but that obviously flows through in other ways too. So that's been, yeah. Oh, it was, yeah, it was fantastic to receive that support. Mm. And what are you hoping people will get from listening to this? Well, I suppose, you know, at this stage of where we're at in this project and trying to trying to do this story site for a local audience, we're, we're sort of, you know, creating a bit of an open door, I suppose, in inviting people to, to listen, but also to see other ways they might become involved in everything that's happening in our shire around climate change at the moment. There is this group of people that you're involved in, Ellie, and others about how we transition our community and what that might look like. So there's, there's you know, growing avenues for people to become more and more involved, I suppose, and this story site is just another way, like your show, is sort of shining a bit of a light on some of those things that are happening. And I, I think with our storytelling, I, I think what we want to do is to try and create a connection. And if you can connect with someone emotionally, connect them with a theme, some ideas, 
you know, that's a way to, to you know, pry open or find that little bit of thread that maybe that can be pulled. Yeah. And, and I think we need multiple ways. This is such a huge and massive and overwhelming problem and we need multiple ways to look at it and understand it and, you know, different approaches will appeal to us at different times in our lives and in our days and to try and, yeah, explore some of those paths that are less travelled in terms of connecting us with this, you know, mother of all issues. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I know I've got like at least two years worth of ideas for content for my show. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm like really glad you guys are doing some stuff. And, and like it just all adds to the chorus of voices. And the more, if people just hear it from one source, it's not the same as hearing it from multiple sources all around them. And the more everyone starts talking about it and discussing it and sharing it with each other, the more everyone will start feeling comfortable to talk about it. As you said earlier, Rob, yep. a lot of people don't feel comfortable to talk about the hardest mm. parts of what climate change is, which is that existential dread. That's, like, right. that's yeah. a really hard thing to talk about. Yeah, and I think there is a certain amount of pressure, I think, for people to be present it in a positive way. And I think what the, we're hoping the show does is, you know, I guess create a bit of a space to talk about that, the more challenging aspects so people, you know, feel like there's some, I don't know, com- communal approach to dealing with some of these mm. tougher emotional things. And then they can step more into the solution space with a bit more energy and you know turn that grief into action yeah and you know climate change is such a huge problem that underpins so many different aspects of our lives it is it's psychological it's emotional it's economic it's about history it's about stories it's about understanding who we are and as, as, as well as all the science and the physical things as well so yeah it's trying to find some of those other avenues That was Kyla and Rob, creators of Endgame. I'm really looking forward to hearing what they produce as the story unfolds. I will have a fresh episode of Saltgrass for you in a fortnight. I'm going to maintain this fortnightly release date schedule, as that is much more sustainable for me in my life. And we do have to be sustainable on all levels. Main FM and 3MDR will have repeats to play in the time slots in the off weeks when there's not a fresh episode. And those of you listening to this as a podcast can listen back to old episodes at any time. You can check out the Endgame podcast at endgamepodcast.net and I have a link to that and the episode I played today in the show notes for this episode of Saltgrass at saltgrasspodcast.com. Please find and like and share Saltgrass on Facebook and Instagram and don't hesitate to get in touch with me about any ideas or thoughts or responses you might have to these episodes. And finally, Saltgrass is produced in partnership with the Mount Alexander Sustainability Group, MASG, and Main FM. And it's made possible with the support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Find out more at cbf.org.au. Salt, salt, salt in the air. Salt, salt, salt. Grassroots. Salt of the earth, people. Grassroots change. Salt grass. Listen to all episodes of Turning the Goldfields Green at saltgrasspodcast.com.